Welcome to the Christ Academy podcast with Jeff Wong, where you'll receive inspiring ideas and stories as we explore the journey of faith in Christ. All right, here we go. Heading into Acts 9 today, and I've entitled my message, When God Chooses. We're going to head right into the scriptures, and then um, through four different sections of Acts 9, I want to draw a few reflections that I feel like God is speaking to us in this season right now. All right, so let's head into Acts 9 together. Here we go. Starting from verse 1. The first section is verse 1 to verse 9, and here we go. In verse 1 it says, Back to Saul, this fuming, raging, hateful man who wanted to kill every last one of the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem for authorization to purge all the synagogues in Damascus of followers of the way of Jesus. His plan was to arrest and chain any of the Jesus followers, women as well as men, and transport them to Jerusalem. He traveled north toward Damascus with a group of companions. Imagine this. Suddenly a light flashes from the sky around Saul, and he falls to the ground at the sound of a voice. The Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you attacking me? Saul said, Lord, who are you? Then he hears these words. The Lord says, I am Jesus. I am the one you are attacking. Get up, enter the city, and you will learn there what you are to do. Verse 7. His other traveling companions just started there. uh, Just um, his other traveling companions just stand there, paralyzed, speechless, because they too heard the voice, but there's nobody in sight. Saul rises to his feet, his eyes wide open, but he can't see a thing. So his companions lead their blind friend by the hand and take him to Damascus. He waits for three days, completely blind. It does not eat a bite or drink a drop of anything. And so to, this is the first section of the scripture today. I don't want to, there's, there's two things I want to point out about this particular section. It's, it's really interesting that Jesus, who Paul refers to as Lord or a sign of, uses that term as a sign of respect, and when he, when, he, when he becomes blind, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? But yet, Saul didn't directly persecute Jesus. What he did, I mean, Jesus had already ascended, you know, According to the gospel, he died, he rose again, he spent time with his disciples, and then he ascended to heaven. But Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus directly, but yet Jesus is saying, you have, you are, he's, he's asking him why, but indirectly saying that you are persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? In verse 4, and, and Saul, Saul is shocked as he's experiencing this. He's persecuting directly the followers of the way of Jesus. He's persecuting them. He's he's 
putting them in jail. He's getting permission from the um, for uh, permission to go to the synagogues all throughout Damascus and arrest Christ followers, followers of the way, to imprison them, hopefully to kill them off. And Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And from this, we see this powerful principle here. We see this powerful principle that there is a union here. There's a union between Christ and his people. There's this powerful union. John MacArthur, the author, the preacher, the pastor, he said in his study Bible, the NKJV, in other words, New King James Version, MacArthur Study Bible, you can find that on Bible Gateway or you can you can find that at other sources as well. But as to the question, why are you persecuting me? He says, he describes what he sees here as an inseparable union. An inseparable union exists between Christ and his followers. Saul's persecution represented a direct attack on Christ. Meaning Saul's persecution of followers of the way represented a direct attack on Christ. There's this inseparable union between the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ, those that we read about here, but those that are like us, those of us that have decided that we are Christ followers, we are disciples of Jesus. That when people persecute us, that we can be reassured, we can be assured that not only are they they persecuting us, they are persecuting Christ, that Christ is with us, that when they persecute us, they persecute Christ. There is this powerful union, what John MacArthur calls an inseparable union. An inseparable union. That's the type of union that Jesus has with us. And so as we, if we stand for Christ, if we stand for the way, if we stand for the gospel, as difficult as it may be, depending where you are and at what place and what time and what people, what kind of a moment that is, we can be assured that Jesus is united with us, that he stands with us, that he is with us. There's this powerful union. And we see that in verse 4. The second thing I want to point out that comes out of verses 1 to 9 is that unbelievers need an interaction with Jesus. They don't just need an invite from us, although... God uses that. They don't just need a word from us, although God may use that, but they need a supernatural interaction with Jesus. And for Saul, who was a leader amongst the Pharisees, the ones that persecuted, the ones that oppressed the Christians, the believers, they weren't called Christians actually at this point yet. The ones that were followers of the way, followers of Jesus, Saul persecuted them heavily. He oppressed them. He imprisoned them. He dragged them off. He took their lives. But yet, there's this turnaround on this road to Damascus that Saul was traveling there with his companions, going directly there, getting ready to persecute more Christians, to imprison more Christians, more followers of the way. And what, does, what happens? Jesus shines this bright light near him. He falls to the ground, not Jesus, but Saul falls to the ground. 
And he hears these words, these powerful words of Jesus as Jesus encounters them in that moment. It's interesting that his companions, they couldn't hear, um, they couldn't, what does the scripture says? How does it describe it? Let's go back. In verse 7, it says, His other traveling companions just stand there, paralyzed, speechless, because they too heard the voice. They could hear the voice, but there's nobody in sight. They couldn't see the light. They weren't blinded by the light that Saul was blinded by. So Saul eventually rises to his feet, his eyes wide open, but yet he can't see anything. He has this, this powerful, this disrupting moment with Jesus. He was engaged by Jesus himself. And he was blinded, and his companions had to lead him to Damascus. And then, if you can imagine being blinded, and you're walking, and being led by your companions, then you're there for three days. Saul was there for three days. I'm not, the, the scripture doesn't say why he didn't eat, he didn't drink, but he must have had this profound epiphany that the person, the, the person who is the, who, who all these followers are following has just said that I am persecuting him. And so Paul persecuted them because he thought that Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus wasn't the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one that God had prophesied about in the Old Testament. He thought this guy was a heretic. This guy is a false this guy is a false messiah. He's not the actual one. And then he has this engagement with Jesus. And his mind must have been blown because he's a Pharisee. He's well-schooled in what the Messiah should be, who the Messiah should be, and, and perhaps when the Messiah should come following these events and these events and these events. But yet he didn't know. And so he encounters Jesus at that moment, and he has this turnaround, this incredible turnaround, right at that point, right at that road, because of his interaction with Jesus. And so what does this tell us? What can we learn from this for our own lives? A few things. The first thing is this. Is that sometimes the hardest heart, the hardest heart that is so against God, that God can turn that heart around. And then the next thing we learn from this is that no matter what someone has done against Christ, that has done against his church, that God can use that person incredibly to build his church. Paul planted many, many churches. He launched many new churches after this. And we'll get to see that as we read that, read about that in the book of Acts, in the chapters that follow. God used him. God used him powerfully. God used him powerfully. He wrote the majority of the letters in the New Testament. Directly after Acts, there's Romans. Paul wrote to the the Christ followers in Rome. There's first, there's second Corinthians. Paul wrote letters to the believers who were in Corinth, the city of Corinth. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul wrote letters to the believers, the Christ followers in Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae. First and second Thessalonians, Paul wrote letters to the Thessalonians, to the Christians, the Christ followers in Thessalonica. 
Hebrews. He wrote a letter to the Hebrew to Hebrews to the Hebrew people. He wrote he wrote so much so many letters that were so impactful. He planted churches and God used the very person who was against him to turn everything around. And so we learned that God can use people no matter what their background is. The next thing that we learn is this, is that some people, perhaps a lot of people, they need an interaction with Jesus more than they need just your words, more than they just they need your, uh, your actions or even to see you, although God uses those things. But some people, they just need a powerful interaction with God. Then they will know the things that, that didn't make sense in their heads, that, the, the, that they couldn't follow the logic, they couldn't understand. But all of a sudden, when they encounter Jesus, they begin to understand. They know for sure because they had an experience themselves with Jesus. And so what do we need to do out of that? We need to realize that. We need to realize that. And then when we interact with people, even before we interact with people, we need to know that we need to pray. We need to know that we need to pray for people to have an interaction with Jesus, whether it be a direct internet interaction that may be exactly like what, they, what, what Saul experienced. Or it could, be, it could be that they need to experience Jesus in a vision. It could be that they need to experience Jesus in a dream. It could be that they need to experience Jesus in a song. It could be that they need to experience Jesus even in a movie. Let me come back to that in a second. It could be that they need to experience Jesus in a TV series called The Chosen. It could be that they need to experience Jesus out in nature. It could be any particular thing, but they need to experience Jesus in some particular way. You know, this past week, there was a, quite a bit of interaction around one of the social social sermons posts that we put up on our social media on uh on Christ Academy social media and the, on Facebook particularly this past week there was a lot of interaction on the social sermon that was about truth and it was interesting if 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 i remember correctly this what i'm going to tell you comes from that stream of interactions um if not it, it was from someone else for some for someone else but i'm going to uh, from somewhere else, but I'm going to come back to this. But one person, I asked them, what was their what was their story? What's their faith story? How did they come to faith? And um, and man, they came to faith through a movie, through like the preaching of someone in a in uh, like a preacher in a movie. And how powerful is that? That God even uses a, the the preaching in a movie to to bring someone to Him. And since then, He's been walking with Jesus. He's a trucker. And so the social sermons that we post or things that we post digitally help that person in their faith. And they, they, they mentioned that to me, and that was powerful. But in that, that, that thread that has to do with that social sermon de- dealing with the truth this past week, there's all kinds of people interacting. There's people that were agnostic who said that. There's people who are outright atheists who are saying that this stuff is garbage. There's no... All religion is garbage. There's all kinds of people sharing all kinds of opinions all over the place. And we need to wake up to that and see that. We need to participate in that, guys. But even more importantly, we need to be praying that God, that Jesus would have an interaction with those people. 
because no matter what people shared, some guy shared uh, like a like a a link for from somewhere in Wikipedia. Other people shared their experiences. Other people shared different things. But what people need. 100% is they need an interaction with Jesus himself. That no matter what they have heard, no matter what they have read, once they experience Jesus themselves, then they'll know for sure who Jesus is because Jesus will speak to them. Jesus will encounter them. Jesus will express his love for him or he will express the truth. Sometimes sometimes you, you believe a certain way in life about any particular thing. But then once you experience the opposite, you realize you were wrong. You were wrong and you didn't, you didn't understand what the truth really was. And sometimes we're so dogmatic, we're so firm, we're so hard on what we believe that there's no changing our minds. We enter into discussions saying, let's, you know, let's talk about this, debate it or whatever, but there's no way that you are going to change my mind. And it's too bad. It's, it's too bad because... There's so much truth to be known that you might not know. It's too bad. But yet, it's not too late. Because Jesus can still change your mind, whether, you, whether you're hard-hearted or you're open-minded. Jesus can change your mind. And so for some of us that are listening right now, it could be that we're completely, completely close-minded to Jesus, just like Saul. It could be that we are completely against Jesus, just like Saul. It reminds me of our friend Angelos. He was debating, um, I, th- I can't remember if he was a Satanist or, or a, a, a pagan into witchcraft or whatever, but he was so against Jesus But God can change even the hearts and minds of people like that, just like how he did with Saul. And so we got to have faith, guys. We got to know, we got to know that Jesus can change the hearts and minds of people around us. So don't give up. Don't give up on them. Pray for them. Pray for Jesus to encounter them, whether they're atheists, whether they're agnostics, whether they're Hindu, whether they're Sikhs, whether they're Buddhists, whatever they may be, God is still changing the hearts and minds of people, and we got to know that. Pray for those who are unbelievers. Pray that Jesus would interact with them, that Jesus would disrupt their lives. Even this week, that Jesus would disrupt their lives. Yes. Let's go to the next section of Scripture. Acts 9, 10-16. Verses 10-16. to Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, in Damascus, a disciple named Ananias. Take note of this guy. Ananias had a vision in which the Lord Jesus spoke to him. Remember I just talked about visions? That God would encounter people in visions? This is already a disciple of Jesus, but God encountered him in a vision. Jesus did. The Lord said, Ananias... Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. Then the Lord said in verse 11, Get up and go, go to Straight Boulevard. Go to the house of Judas. This was a different Judas than Judas Iscariot. And inquire about a man from Tarsus, Saul by name. 
if I was if I was Ananias at that point, the hairs on my arm would probably stand up. Did you just say Saul? Saul? Get up and go straight to get up and go to Straight Boulevard to the house of Judas and inquire about a man from Tarsus. Saul by name. He is praying to me at this very instant. Can you imagine the Saul that was persecuting Christians that thought Jesus was this complete fraud, a fake Messiah, not divine, not the Messiah sent by God, that this Saul is now praying to Jesus. That's so crazy. So crazy. And in verse 12, Jesus says to him, he has had a vision, another vision. Again, God is speaking through visions here. A vision of a man by your name who will come. Lay hands on him and heal his eyesight. Powerful. In verse 13, it says, Ananias. Ananias said this, Lord, I know whom you're talking about. I've heard rumors about this fellow. He's an evil man and has caused great harm. For your special people in his, in Jerusalem. I've heard that he has been authorized by the religious authorities to come here and chain everyone who associates with your name. And then the Lord interrupts him. Jesus says, yes, but you must go. I have chosen him to be my instrument, to bring my name far and wide, to outsiders, to kings, and to the people of Israel as well. I have much to show him, including how much he must suffer for my name. Like, whoa. Wow. How crazy is that? Something that we can learn from this, guys, is that when God shows us something that we got to obey, Ananias could have just said, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm scared for my life. I'm Ananias, I don't know if he was married, but he, he, he could have just said... Um, no way, I got my wife to look after. I got my kids to look after. I don't want to put myself in danger and by doing that, put them in danger, God. No way, God. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be at risk. I don't want people to find out. He could have said any number of things. But when God spoke to him, what did he do? He listened. He trusted. He obeyed. And that produced fruit. It's because obedience leads to fruit. If he didn't do that, God perhaps may have found another way. Maybe he wouldn't. But because he was obedient, he got to be involved in God's plan with Saul. And Saul, whose name got chosen, got changed to Paul. Man, obedience leads to fruit. Listen, trust, obey. And then we produce the produce. That's the powerful thing. When we listen, trust, and obey, we produce the produce in our lives. We produce fruit in our lives. So many of us, we're not even listening to God in the moment, but we need to listen to Him moment by moment. I'm not even talking about like day by day or week by week. I mean moment by moment. God, heading into work today, Show me each day, each, each, each moment throughout the day, 
what you want me to do? Is there anyone you want me to encourage? Is there anyone you want me to listen to? Is there anyone you want me to pray for silently or even ask them if I should pray for them, if I could pray for them? Lord, show me what to do. I'm listening. Okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm at my desk. Anyone I should be looking out for? Be listening with God. Be be conversing with Him moment by moment. One of the letters that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says to pray continually, to always be praying continually. Praying is talking with God, but it's also listening to God. We need to continue to be listening to God. And then when He shows us, when He speaks to us, when He tells us what to do, we got to trust. we got to listen and we got to trust. we got to learn to trust God more than we trust ourselves. One of the biggest problems we have in, in our lives is that we trust ourselves far more than we trust God. We do that when it comes to obedience. We do that when it comes to our finances. We do that when it comes to our assignments. We, we do that when it comes to our time, when it comes to our career careers, when it comes to our relationships in our lives. We trust us far more than we trust God. Why even have God in your life if He can't be God? When you trust yourself more than God, it's like you're the God of your life. And then we just say that we believe in God. But what we believe is seen through our, our actions. Who do you really trust the most? We got to listen, we got to trust, and then we got to obey. And this is how pro- this is how the produce is produced. This is how the fruit comes to fruition. We need God in our lives. We need to listen to him, to trust, to obey. And that's where the magic happens. That's where the fruit gets produced. If you've been wondering like how come I haven't been producing that much fruit? in the kingdom of God, in my spiritual life? Could it be that you're missing out on the listening? Could it be that you're listen, missing out on the trusting? Could it be that you're missing out on the obedience part of the picture? Those things need to happen. Listen, trust, obey. When you guys are participating in life groups, you're listening to God through the scriptures, through your times of prayer, listening to Him in different ways, but you got to trust God. And then you actually have to obey. You got to go do something with the Word of God. You got to go live it out. You got to obey the Word of God. We're not just hearers of the Word, we got to be doers of the Word. James talks about that over and over and over in the book of James. Go and read it. But we, we need to listen, trust, and obey in order to produce fruit. Verses 17 to 20. So Ananias. He went and he entered the house where Saul was staying. Man, he, he was probably nervous. He was probably anxious. He was, he was probably stressed out. He was probably stressed out. He's probably thinking, man, I'm taking a huge risk here, but I'm obeying God. So Ananias went and entered the house where Saul was staying. He laid hands on Saul and called to him. Ananias said this, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, sent me so you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, if I was Saul, I'd be like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. Thank God that I'm going to get my sight back. I was thinking I was going to be blind for the rest of my life because of what had happened. But no, Ananias was sent to to heal Saul. And then the rest of that scripture talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
God, Jesus wanted to fill even Saul with the Holy Spirit. How powerful is that? Let's continue. Verse 18. At that instant, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see. So he got up, received the ceremonial washing of baptism. Notice he got baptized right away. That identified him as a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. He was baptized as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. He ate some food. Remember, he had not eaten for three days. He regained his strength. He spent a lot of time with the disciples in Damascus over the next several days. (laughs) The one that was persecuting them, the one that was killing some of them off, was now a part of that inner circle, a part of being coming over to the other side from darkness to light. How beautiful is that? And he did that for several days. Then he went to the synagogues. He actually went a step further. He went into the synagogues. He intended to purge. And instead of arresting people, instead of dragging them off to jail, Saul was saying that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God's son. The one that I thought was a fraud, the one that I thought was not the Messiah, this is God's son. Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Jesus is God's son. And undoubtedly, he is here to save us. Some thoughts on this section of Scripture. Once again, this is a reoccurring theme in the book of Acts. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only do we need to be listening to God moment by moment, but we need to make sure that we're filled with, with God's Spirit. If, if, if you have a hard time with certain relationships at work, you need to be filled with the Spirit so that you, the Holy Spirit can produce its fruit so you can be more patient, you can be more kind, you could, you could offer more goodness, some self-control, faithfulness, kindness, love, these things when it comes when it comes to everyday parts of your life if you're having problems in your relationships at home with your spouse with your partner with your kids whoever it might be with your parents your parents-in-law you need to be filled with the spirit moment by moment filled with the holy spirit of god that's why ananias prayed for saul to be filled with the holy spirit it's it's so that you can get along in life and have fruit and be successful so that in those moments that are tough, that you can still have joy. So that those moments when you can't get along with people, that you can actually still love them because of the incredible power of God. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, not only, do you, or not only are you, you are able to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you're able to produce incredible moments because the Holy Spirit is leading you to do things that you were meant to do, using your spiritual gifts. Sometimes you have a word of wisdom that God's given you, a supernatural word of wisdom. Sometimes it's a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is God gives you information about someone, about their lives that means something to someone. It's a sign. It could be that God gives you a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live about choices that we make in our lives. 
But God gives wisdom and he gives it generously. And God might want to give that wisdom generously through you to someone else who does not yet know Jesus that well. Maybe they do. But when you're living each moment filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit leads you to do things. And if we don't, if we're not led by the Spirit, it's like we're it's like we're Saul on that road being led blind by his companions, that we're walking blind in life because we don't have the Holy Spirit showing us how what to do. It could have been that yet just yesterday you missed three opportunities that the Holy Spirit was guiding you to do, was wanting you to do, wanting you to interact with someone else, wanting you to bring blessing or a word of knowledge or love or compassion or whatever it might be. But you missed it because you weren't filled with the Spirit and you weren't listening. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and listening so that we don't miss these moments and we can take advantage of them and we can live the adventure that Jesus has for us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit moment by moment, even right now. Say, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit right now, right now. Even after the service, the church service, Fill me with your spirit right now. Even as you're having dinner with people, going out to dinner, fill me with your spirit right now. Fill me with your spirit so I can be a great blessing to the people that I'm with. Fill me with your spirit so that I can bring you with me, bring the presence of God with me to this occasion. Even when you're playing sports, even when you're engaging with your hobbies, God, fill me with your spirit right now. Fill me with your spirit right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to see this theme over and over and over again. And it's a reminder to us that we need this, especially at this juncture, at this point in the journey. We need the Holy Spirit so much, guys. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The next section of Scripture is from verse 21 to verse 22. Obviously, this amazed everybody. And the buzz spread. People said, Isn't he the man who caused so much trouble in Jerusalem for everyone identified with Jesus? Didn't he come here to arrest followers of Jesus and bring them in chains to the religious authorities? Now he switched sides and is preaching Jesus? How crazy is that? What? As time passed, Saul's confidence grew stronger and stronger. So much so that he debated with the Jews of Damascus and made an irrefutable case that Jesus is, in fact, God's anointed, the liberating king. Wow, that's powerful. What can we learn from this section? In this section, we see that that the Apostle Paul, he became the Apostle Paul. When I say that, I also, I'm using that synonymously with Saul. But Saul had to learn how to defend the faith, how to defend faith in Jesus, how to debate people. Some of those debates are just discussions. Some of those debates are just hard, aggressive debates. Whatever, whatever it is, we also need to learn how to defend our faith. We call that apologetics. It's not that you're offering an apology, but you're learning how to defend your faith, give a reasonable, to give reason for the faith that is within you. 
in that Facebook thread I was talking about. The social sermon one. And you can go look, look it up in the Christ Academy Facebook account. There's all kinds of people debating and asking questions. I want to encourage you guys to go and get involved. Learn how to defend your faith. You can read their questions. You can, re- you can read about their skepticism. skepticism. You can read about their points against Christianity, some of them. And you have the luxury of knowing that, and you can go and you can research. What are the answers to this? And you can pray. Be filled with the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me how to speak into this moment, God. Tell me how to defend our faith in regards to this issue, this point, so that this person can see the truth, Lord. And then listen, listen, and trust. God may show you what to say. He might also show you what to do. And whatever it is that he shows you that you ought to do is exactly what you need to do in that moment. But we need to learn how to defend our faith. This needs to be a season where we learn. For so many of us, we have no idea what to do in a moment like that. But if someone says, there is no proof for God, just like what someone said in that thread, then maybe some of us need to identify that and go and research. Maybe go on Google. All the reasons to believe that Jesus is God. And we need to come back and we need to be able to give a defense for our faith and help people. Because there's Saul's out there that Jesus has chosen. That Jesus has chosen to spread the gospel. To bring people to salvation. And God wants to use us to speak to Saul's out there. We need to learn to defend our faith. And so as I close... I want us to consider that God has chosen people. God has chosen people. Some of us, some of us are so scared to go and speak with others about, about faith, about Jesus. But we got to know, we got to realize that God has already chosen some of those people. He's already been working in their hearts, working in their lives. God has chosen them and He wants us to go and either plant a seed or water a seed or to love on them or to listen to them, to interact with them. God will tell us what to say. And as we obey Him, and we, as we speak those words or type those words, God will use those words, and people will come to faith. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that? Let us open our minds. Let us open our hearts to the idea that God has chosen people and wants to use people, wants to use us, to affect change in people's lives right now, this day, this week, this month, and this year. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you that you've chosen people. You've chosen me. You've chosen the disciples. You've chosen us as your disciples. And the powerful thing is that you've gone ahead You've already been working. And all we need to do is to listen, to trust, to obey. And then we will produce. So I pray for everybody that's listening. Everyone around us, even people not listening. 
Lord, use us. Lord, speak. Lord, guide. Help us to obey. Help us to follow. And may you lead many, many multitudes of people to you, just like you did with Saul. And may you use us as a part of that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Do you receive that, guys? Do you receive that? Receive that and go and live it out.